Amen. Thanks, Bob. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to be with you guys. Um, well, I hope you guys all had an amazing Christmas weekend. It was beautiful out. Real quick show of hands. Who, like, this weekend was perfect. It was nice outside. Who would prefer a sunny, warm Christmas over a snowy Christmas? Show of hands. Okay, and then how about everybody else? Who's like, give me a snowy, nice, cold Christmas? Okay, about 50-50. Awesome. Literally no reason for that question. I was just curious. Um, well, so thankful, like Austin said this morning, so thankful that you guys would gather with us this morning, um, whether you're online or in the room in a busy weekend. So glad that you would be here to hear from God's word and to worship alongside of us um, this morning. If we haven't met yet, my name is Anthony. I serve on our City Light Global team, so I help our church like just answer the question, what does it take to get, to get the gospel to the ends of the earth? I love it. Uh, my wife and I have been married for seven years. Um, she's amazing. Allie, yeah, she's amazing. We've got five boys. We're taking up like seven rows over here. Just with our family, it's amazing. I think we've got a picture of them. Do we have a picture? There's the crew. I think we've got Mohammed Yunus up here, our boy's honorary, our boy's honorary Pakistani grandfather. Amazing. Um, but yeah, anyway, I wanted to start this morning by just saying thanks. I don't often get to like just say thanks to the church family. Um, when we first became a part of City Light five years ago, we were looking for a, a gospel-centered, Jesus-worshiping missional family, and it's been so fun over the last five years just to get to really experience that. We've been encouraged, we've been loved, we've been cared for in so many awesome ways. So just wanted to even just start this morning by saying thanks, and um, looking forward to digging into God's word and thankful for this opportunity. And so like Bob read, we're going to be in Genesis 12 this morning, and when I was asked to preach, um, I, I was said... Austin said, hey, preach whatever you feel like God's been teaching you, uh, like a theme in your life, and then something that would encourage our church as we close out this year and look towards the next year. And the theme that came to mind was this idea of how God's faithfulness leads us to sloppy obedience. Again, that's God's faithfulness leads to sloppy obedience. And I first heard this term of sloppy obedience this, um, this summer, and I felt like that was, it like epitomized what our family has strived for. It has been very sloppy, um, but it's been very beautiful at the same time. And it, as you guys are turning to Genesis 12, I think that Abram's story is just a beautiful picture of this sloppy obedience. I think we see it in Abram's life. I think we see it all throughout the Bible. Um, but before we jump into our passage, I do want to define what I mean. I, I probably say sloppy obedience, and there's like a million different things that we could think of. But here's what I mean when I say that. First, what I mean is not like a half-hearted, um, indifferent obedience. What I do mean is an obedience that's okay with the imperfect, okay with unclear paths, unanswered questions, and uncomfortable situations. When I'm talking about obedience, what I'm not talking about is a legalistic, I've got to follow all of the rules so that God will accept me or love me. What I do mean by obedience is just taking God at his word and just trusting, man, God, you have my best in mind. So I want to take small steps of obedience and obey what you say. And so I just think that if we got this right as a church, as we look into the next year, if we really took strides towards just being obedient to God's word. I think that our, our lives would look different. I think our city would look different, and I think the world would look different, and God would be so glorified in it. Um, so, I th and I use the word sloppy because I think it just describes the day-to-day, in-and-out lives of what we actually feel. We're not, not all of us are professional Christians, but we're just like trying to live out 
faithfully um, according to God's plan. And so that's where we're going to go. And I want to start, I do want to say, as we talk about sloppy obedience, the foundation of it is God's faithfulness. This isn't about us just mustering up enough strength and courage and energy to obey God, but it's about just taking him at his word. I honestly had an entire sermon written a couple weeks ago about sloppy obedience and scrapped it all because I was like, oh, this is literally just about us and what we need to do. So this morning, I hope that we do come away with just a beautiful picture of God and his faithfulness as we see it in Abram's life and apply it to ours. So that's where we're going to go. So let's jump into our passage Genesis 12, we'll start in verses 1 through 3, and we're going to look at God's promise. First point is God's promise, Genesis 1 through 3. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So in these verses, we're introduced to a man named Abram. And God comes to him. He says, hey, leave your country. Go to this land I'm going to show you. And I'm going to make you a great name and bless you. And there's a lot in these verses that we could look at. But I I, I specifically want to look at characteristics of God in these passages. We're going to look at God's posture, his provision, and his purpose within within this promise. Now, the first thing... To see in this promise is God's posture towards Abram, towards Abram. Up to this point in the Bible, it doesn't record Abram having done anything. He didn't like conquer a giant. He didn't do anything impressive. He wasn't super faithful to God in any specific way. No, God just comes to him. God graciously comes to Abram and he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And as I was As I think about Abram and the faith that he had to obey God's call to leave everything to go to this new place, I think so much of it had to do with just seeing God's posture towards him as one of of blessing and of wanting to use him to to do great things. Yes, to use him to do great things, but also just to have his best interest in mind. And so I love seeing God's posture towards Abram in these verses. And the other thing to see is God's provision. So God's provision within the promise. Within these three verses, five different times, God says, I will. He says, I will make you a great name. I will bless you. I will have your back. I will protect you. I will show you the land. All of these things God is saying that he's ultimately at the end of the day going to be the one to fulfill it. And I think this is so important because Abram messes up a lot along the way. As we track his story, we see that he, yes, he walks out sloppy obedience, but he doesn't do it perfectly. I think it's such great news for Abram, and it's good news for us, that God's promises rest on God's faithfulness and not our own. And the other thing to see about God's, um, about God's promise here and his faithfulness is that his promise comes with a purpose. And I think this is so beautiful. So did you catch it in verse 2? In verse 2, he said, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then in verse 3, he says, um, In Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The promise of blessing wasn't meant to stop at Abram. It was meant to spread through Abram. The way that John Piper, uh, pastor, puts it, he says is, God's, um, We are not meant to be a cul-de-sac of God's grace, but rather a conduit of his grace to the rest of the world. As we look just a couple verses before in Genesis 11, we see the Tower of Babel. And at the Tower of Babel, um, humanity gathers together and they say, hey, we're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to build this huge city. And they do the exact opposite of what God had called them to. But 
God comes to Abram. The very next thing he does, after, and so God scatters them. So they rebel, God scatters them, confuses their languages, and then the very next thing God does after he scatters them is he comes to Abram, and he says, I'm going to use you to bless the earth. His, his God's call comes with a redemptive purpose. I think that's beautiful because it's true for us too. Just as Abram was meant to be a conduit of blessing and not a cul-de-sac, so are we, church. God is unchanging. His posture towards us is a posture of love. His sovereign provision over us is still on us, and he has given us a, a purpose in the world. And it's God's purpose, it's his provision, and it's his posture that leads Abram to his initial response of sloppy obedience. Let's keep tracking his story in verses four through nine. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram gathered, whoa, hold on. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel in the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on going toward the Negev. So the one thing to notice in Abram's response here is that, God, is that Abram puts God's promise to the test. So God tested God's promise. Up to this point, Abram had this much of the Bible. He had 11 chapters. He didn't, and to, in order for trust to be had, you have to have a track record. And so I love that Abram is like, okay, you're telling me to leave my country. You're telling me to leave everything to go here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna test that out. And so Abram's like, okay, I'm gonna do it. I love his posture in that. He goes, and in verse four, um, yeah, so I love that he goes. He's got those 11 chapters, but he still chooses to take the journey. Verse four says that so, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. Even though the way was unknown, even though the road would be uncomfortable, and even though the experience was uncommon for his time, Abram decided to pack up and go. This was the beginning of his journey towards sloppy obedience. He was, getting, he was beginning to put God's faithfulness to the test. In verses four through 10, pretty much all that we see Abram doing is traveling, settling someplace, and then going to another place, and then going to another place. It's like all he's doing is moving, sojourning, and traveling. If he's anything like me, I think when he thought he got to the promised land, when God's like, okay, Abram, this is Canaan, this is the land I'm gonna get you. Did you notice that it said it was full of Canaanites? Like, I'm thinking I'm gonna get there, there's gonna be like all this open land, I'm gonna be able to, there might be some trees and I'll have some timber to build some houses, but there's none of that. Abram's not able to do anything. The only thing that Abram built were altars. And I love this. While he couldn't be building his city, he could be building altars. And what those altars were were these temporary places for Abram to worship God. And I love that Abram, in the midst of his wandering, chose to worship. And would that be true of us, church? As we are wandering through life, as we're trying to take these steps of faithful obedience, would we choose to worship in the midst of it? And so we see God made this promise to Abram. Even with all the unknowns, 
um, Abram chose to take steps towards sloppy obedience. And as we apply this to our lives, I wish that I could like go into all the nuances of like, how do you discern God's calling? How do you know what God's vision is for your life? But don't have time for that. But I think what's beautiful, like I said, Abram only had these 11 chapters. We have the entire Bible, 66 books of just stories of how we can know God, his will for people, his plan for people, and how he wants to use us in the world. And so um, I just want to use one example. Uh, my friend David, two different stories of David of how I dreamed that this would be true of our churches. We take steps towards this sloppy obedience. So David is in our nine-month goer group. He is currently an engineer at a manufacturing company where he gets to build trains. The dude lives like every kid's dream. He gets to design trains um, like every like Lego kid. I'm like, I wasn't a Lego kid, but I got a couple Lego kids, and they, David is their hero. So anyway, David is an engineer, got a great job, but just as he read through scripture and just seeing God's heart for the nations, he's like, I think my assignment, the way that I'm called to be involved in the Great Commission is to go. So he is currently planning on giving up his engineering job to go pursue church planting in Japan. One of the se it's the second largest unreached people group in the world. And so it's been so much fun to see David have a conviction from scripture that will totally alter the course of his life and say, okay, God, I'll take steps of obedience to see that happen. And it's been messy, and it's been a lot of twists and turns, but it's been fun to watch him in that journey. And But another story is just, it's smaller, but just as significant, and I love to see, is the other day, what, we're in our goer group, and he's like, hey, Anthony, um, this is a little awkward, a little uncomfortable, but I've been reading through Ephesians, and it talks about, like, not living with bitterness, and you kind of did this thing, and it made me a little upset, and I'm feeling a little bit bitter towards you, and this is awkward, and I don't like saying it, but I'm just trying to obey scripture, and I, I loved, and he came to me, and in the midst of, like, the discomfort, in the midst of the awkwardness, he was like, hey, I literally read this in the Bible this morning, and so I'm trying to obey it, and so would that be our posture as a church, too? Would we, as we're just reading daily in the word, as we're given an exhortation or a challenge, would we just pursue to take steps of obedience, whether they're uncomfortable, whether they're unclear, or whether they're unfinished. So I just think that that would be amazing. And so we see here God's faithfulness through his promises led Abram to sloppy obedience. But God doesn't always fulfill his promises in the way that we think that he ought to. And this is where things start to get messy. Let's follow Abram's journey and look at God's protection. Our second point is God's protection. Let's read verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now let's put ourselves in Abram's shoes real quick. You just left your family. You left everything that was comfortable to you to trust God and his promise. You get to the promised land, and now you're leaving. And there's a famine. And it's not just a famine. The author says it's a severe famine. Like, you're like, did I really give everything up to go to this place where there's no food, no resources, only to have to get up and move again? I think it's on this road from Canaan to Egypt where, that, where seeds of doubt are first planted in Abram's heart. Let's see how those seeds of doubt sprout as he, um, as he gets into Egypt in verses 11 through 16. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say this is his wife. But the, then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. 
When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Um, I don't know if this happens to you, but this happens to me all the time. Every time I go to Walmart or Target, I'm afraid somebody's going to kill me because my wife is so beautiful. Um, every time, it's scary. We're always like, man, hey, what should I say, Allie, if somebody's like, hey, just kidding. Um, that wasn't in the notes. That wasn't in the notes. But um, so... Uh, <laughs> So in these verses, we see Abram's trust in God's faithfulness falter for the first time. So Abram's faith falters. And we have to understand uh, that this isn't the same thing as Abram moving from California to Texas just to pay some, some less taxes. Going into Egypt as a stranger would have been legitimately dangerous. So that, like, I don't actually have to worry about somebody killing me for Ali, but, um, but Abram legitimately did. They didn't know how long they were going to be there. They didn't know anybody. They didn't have a support system. Going to Egypt was a very vulnerable spot for them. And so with, this, with facing this vulnerability, um, they come up with a plan. Uh, for Sarah to say that Abram, that Abram is just her, her brother. And so there's one major problem with this plan because God had made a promise Remember, he's going to make him into a great nation. And the way that that works is Abram and Sarah have children, and their children have children, and their children have children, and on and on and on until they become a great nation. And so for Pharaoh to take Sarah as his wife is for Abram essentially to be giving up on the promise because Pharaoh brings her into his house as his wife to have children. So Pharaoh is essentially giving or. Abram is faltering and giving up in the face of adversity. But this week I did hear somebody say that God's blessing not only comes in abundance, but in adversity. God's blessing comes not only in abundance, but in adversity. It's through the trials of Abram's life that he's able to see the aspects of God's faithfulness more clearly. It's when something seemingly goes wrong that God's provision and his protection and his ability to redeem every situation shines forth. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever been in a place where you felt like you were following God's call on your life, but things go sideways? Friends, take heart, because in the midst of that, God gets to show his faithfulness to you in new ways. And now let's see how God shows his faithful protection to Abram, Sarah, and the promise, despite their faltering faith. Verses 12, uh, verses 17 through 20. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. And they went and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So we see in these verses that God protects Sarah, Abram, and the promise. The Lord supernaturally intervenes with the plague on Pharaoh's house. Um, these, verse, these verses highlight God's protection over his promise. Now, Pharaoh is one of the most 
powerful, influential men in the entire world at this point. What Pharaoh wants, Pharaoh gets. And so for Pharaoh to give up Sarah, whatever this plague was, it doesn't say it had to be severe. And what I love about this is that God was powerful enough to overcome even the trials that were put in the face by some of the most powerful, one of the most powerful people on our earth. And I love God's faithfulness, that even when Abram was faithless, God was faithful. Praise God that his promises rest on his faithfulness and not our faith. Have you ever experienced, have you ever experienced God's protective power as you've sought to follow him? Um, Allie and I, we just have a f- super fun, really practical story of how this played out. I know this doesn't happen every time, but it's such a joy to see um, God step through in this specific way. It was 2016. We'd been married for about a year and a half, and we had just been reading through scripture and just had a conviction that it was the church's job to um, care for the orphan and widow in distress. And so we figured our role was to become foster parents for a while. And so we're like, okay, let's start the process. The only problem was we were living in our friend's basement. And so you can't do foster care in your friend's basement. That doesn't work out great. And so we're like, okay, we want to do sibling sets. So we got to get a house that has enough uh, bedrooms and enough space to be able to have multiple kids. And we're like, okay, well, we probably can't afford to rent a place. Maybe we should buy a place. Well, we can't afford to buy a place either. But we just felt this conviction from God, like, hey, we need to take a step of obedience towards this. So we actually found a house that we probably couldn't afford, um, but was like the cheapest. And we're like, okay, let's go for it. So we put in an offer. We go through the loan process and the one signature that we need want to give it to us. I was doing an internship and they weren't sure if they were going to bring me on. And so he's like, I'm not signing. I'm not signing this loan. And we're like, but dude, it's not just for the loan. It's for foster care. Like we're, we're doing this to try to take care of kids. Um, but he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. And we're like devastated. We're like, God, we thought we were taking a step of faith. We thought we were doing this for you. Why would you shut this door? But no joke, three days later, we go to our foster care class and um, our foster care training, and we find out about our agency has these houses out on their campus. And by houses, I mean mansions. And by mansion, I mean it had 15 bedrooms, five bathrooms, two dishwashers, two refrigerators, a pond, hiking, like, it was like a dream come true. And we're like, okay. And so we, we apply, within a week, we're accepted and ready to move in, like, another week later. It was crazy, just to, it's so crazy to look back and see, man, as we were taking just that small step of obedience, um, we got shut down on one thing. There was, there was a adversity, but then God provided in a really cool way. And from that, we got to care for, I think it was over 65 kids over a couple years, and our family would look nothing like it does now if it wasn't for that opportunity. And God just protecting the promise that he made to us. So I love looking back. And guys, I just, I just imagine just story after story in our church family. I wish I could share all of them that I knew of just God showing his faithfulness over and over again to us. So would we be a church that pursues sloppy obedience so that we can see God prove his faithfulness in that? And now, um, the last thing that I just want us to see about how God responds is God's patience. Um, that, that God didn't, God, God came to Abram and he said, hey, this is my plan for you. Abram gave up, God provided, but God was still patient. He wasn't like, okay, Abram and Sarah, I'm done with you. Like, I'm gonna move on to another couple. But no, he stayed with them. He wasn't like a father who was, got angry or passive he remained patient, and he continued that. And church, that is the same God that is patient with us, that is loving to us, 
As we conclude this morning, I just have three encouragements for us as we finish up. The first is for the follower of Jesus who needs to put God's faithfulness to the test. Maybe you're a Christian, um, but you haven't let God's, tra- God's word transform your life. Can I challenge you to put God's faithfulness to the, t- to the test and t- can I challenge you to put God's faithfulness to the test and step towards sloppy obedience despite not knowing the who, the how, or the when, like Abram did when he left his land? My hope for you is not that you'd become a more obedient person or a, or a better person, but my hope for you is that you'd get to experience God's faithfulness in new ways. And my second encouragement is for the follower of Jesus that is really trying to pursue this sloppy obedience. And my encouragement to you is this, to continue to lean forward, to lean on. Abram, at the end of his life, had a grave for him and his wife. That was all that he had at the end of his life. He never got to see the fulfillment of the promise, but thousands of years later, we get to reap the benefits of his faith in God. And my last encouragement is for those who are here who wouldn't consider themselves followers of Jesus. First of all, can I say I'm so thankful that you would entrust our church um, and our family on your spiritual journey. I think that's amazing. And my encouragement to you is not is not is that God is more concerned about your identity than your activity. He's more concerned about wanting to adopt you into his family than he is about getting you to produce anything or to perform. You see, in, uh, in Abram's story, we get a ex- perfect example of sloppy obedience, but the good news is there was someone who walked in perfect obedience. He never faltered. He never failed. He was the ultimate fulfillment of the promise that all the families of the earth would be blessed. And he is the descendant of Abram, Jesus, whose birth we celebrated. You see, while while Abram left Ur for Canaan, Jesus left heaven for earth. Abram was blessed to be a blessing, while Jesus was cursed to be a blessing. Abram faltered in his faith, but Jesus was faithful to the end. Abram was an example of obedience, but Jesus is is the exchange for our disobedience. Abram built altars for worship, but Jesus is the altar of worship. Abram was a foreshadowing of the promise, but Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise. Friends, it is God's faithfulness that should lead us to sloppy obedience, but God's faithfulness is also what leads us to salvation. Our disobedience is what separates us from God, but it is God's faithfulness that brings us back. Sloppy obedience is not what gets us to heaven. It's not what makes us right with God, but it was Jesus's perfect obedience and his faithfulness that brought us salvation. If we will just choose to follow him by faith. Friends, as we conclude, would our pursuit of sloppy obedience simply be a response to the perfect obedience of Jesus? Would we be a people like Abram that experience God's faithfulness as we pursue sloppy obedience? Let's pray.